Our show today is with Avi Friedman, a Packet Pushers favorite and a returning guest. He's the CEO and co-founder of Kentic, who has sponsored today's show. I'm Ethan Banks, and with me is Greg Farrell. We've met Avi in Meatspace a few times, and allow us to assure you that he is a fellow nerd. So, Avi, <laughs> welcome back to Packet Pushers. And the purpose of our chat is we're going to dive into some fancy new capabilities that Kentic has released. But before we get there, I just, I just wanted to kind of ask you how startup life is treating you. Startup life is hectic, and that is by design. Um, you know, we we thought when we started Kentic that there was an opportunity to rip the monitoring appliances out of the infrastructure, and uh, you know, in, in startup life, it's just a question of how fast you want to go. And we've decided we would want to try going pretty fast. So uh, that involves often doubling the company size every year, uh, adding new kinds of customers, and uh, a whole as a CEO, a whole new area of geekdom about business and marketing, and and in some ways. Is a harder problem uh, than building the technology is figuring out how to explain it to uh, to people, especially people that don't know what BGP AS paths and communities are, and just want to know: Is it the goddamn network that's causing my goddamn problem? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, it is. That's why you need to buy our product. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, often it's no, it isn't. So you can stop wanking around and figuring out, you know, blaming everybody and say, "Oh, that's, that's where the right. problem is. Let's go fix that." Right? It's not the network; it's the database server. Go and spend money on the database instead. Yeah. Or the database people, yep. Yeah, I did that once many years ago. This is my apocryphal story. I was brought out to a site, and they'd been having pain for over six months, and I took out a packet-shaping appliance, which back in those days was the only way to do visibility. Mm -hmm. We put it in line, and within two hours, I had established that the problem was that they were loading the entire – when they were uh, on the web page that was coming down on the front screen, they were doing a web lookup that loaded every entry in the database. And when <laughs> the developer was doing it, like – you know, there was a drop-down box, and they were populating it with five and a half thousand records over a 64k line. And um, it was really easy to pick it up once you had the the monitoring in place. And the customer was like, and the developers going, "Well, I only just work with a database that has a hundred entries. It works fine for me." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's really part of our secret long-term plan: is how do you combine. All of this technology, you know, you've got APM and metrics and NPM and DDoS, and it all needs to work and it all needs to be related. But again, back to the startup world, one thing at a time. First, badass NetFlow tool, then bring the performance side into it, then protect the infrastructure, and then, you know, we'll see where we go from there. Uh, but, you know, these silos really hurt people, and the lack of visibility, as you mentioned, uh, you know, is very difficult for operations. Well, Avi, let's get into uh, the, the product here. You know, Kentic, we've talked about on the show before. Uh, we'll have a link to prior shows in the show notes. You just go to packetpushers.net and search for Kentic, and you will find those previous shows. Yeah, but a specific feature that you've got here, NPM, Network Performance Monitoring for Cloud and Digital Ops, which is we're hitting the cloud buzzword and we're hitting digital <laughs> operations, you know, hitting those buzzwords as well. So why don't we start here, explain what the monitoring solution is in a nutshell, and then we'll drill in. Absolutely. So, so the Kentic base, the Kentic Detect offering that we've had out commercially for about a year and a half is, again, if you're a super network nerd, we just say it's a badass NetFlow tool. It lets you see anything that you want to know uh, and alert you to uh, anomalous conditions, but in a way that lets you dig down. Again, we, we keep all the details. We present it uh, in a way that network and operations folks understand, and is really where's the traffic going? More than the base product is 
where's the traffic going more than what's the performance of it. So in the old sense, you've got people that say performance means SNMP. And, you know, before you retch, say, you, you know, that means just basically congestion, right? And I know SNMP is not a, not, not, a, not a fun thing for many reasons, but, you know, people said performance and that just means, oh, the link is congested. So basic NetFlow tool means double click on that. And you can see, oh well, it's 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 the link is full because there's tons of traffic because the database servers are syncing. But it doesn't really tell you is there a performance problem with that, right? The link may be almost full, but every you know there may be no TCP pretransmit. The latency may be good. So NPM is really getting into the network performance monitoring. Is how can we get data sources that are not just standard NetFlow, SFlow, IPFix, but come from packets or web logs or devices that can send that kind of augmented flow that has standard NetFlow, but also latency information, retransmit information, and then make it usable so you can say, aha, it is the network, it isn't the network, or if it is the network, it's that remote network, or it's my data center, or where is it? So if we own all the infrastructure for that, that's you know, straightforward enough, kind of how I can imagine where we'd pull that data from and how we would get that. Uh, but if we are moving into cloud, then we have some complexity because we don't all the own all the infrastructure. So with the Kentic solution here, where I'm pulling data and can see how things are performing in the cloud, how, how am I actually getting a hold of that data? So if you're in 100% cloud, generally what you would do is we have an agent that can run on the server and it watches the packets. We actually work with NTOP, who's a granddaddy in the space, and they have something called NProbe, which can watch packets generate flow, but also add performance and metadata. So you have to be careful as you deploy that, that you don't have the Heisenbugs as you your monitoring interferes with production and then things happen strangely. So you have to you know, watch uh, sometimes a, a percentage of the traffic. But then that agent sends things, sends the data in IPFix, so standard format, but adds in the performance data that we need and soon application semantics and some other things. And then it looks like just a network device. So every host looks like a network device. We're getting flow from it. And um, we'll typically in cloud then use um, a BGP table that's representative of that kind of infrastructure because you probably don't speak BGP with your cloud provider unless you're doing any cast which some people do, but not AWS, GCE, Azure, uh, you know, soft layer, not the big guys. Um, so the, the data is coming from the servers. If you run hybrid cloud um, and you're running at least some of your own infrastructure, then again, switches routers, BGP tables. But to get that sort of augmented information, it can come from uh, the, uh, the host agent. And what's coming soon is we'll actually take Nginx logs. And again, combine it with the BGP data and show you the same kind of thing. And the Nginx path can even be more efficient. Because Nginx, every time you do a web request, it can peek into the kernel TCP infostruct and again, pull out some of those latency uh, information data. So the answer is not switches and routers uh, from the VMs, sometimes from the hypervisors, we get that data. Uh, yeah, that was a point of clarification I wanted. So you said NProbe, um, this agent installed on the host, uh, and that could be a VMware box at the hypervisor layer, or it could be in a virtual machine. Uh, what about containers? Um, so with the container, generally you'll do it on the, I don't know what the like the equivalent of the hypervisor for the thing running the containers, the base host, right? Mm. Typically you'd run it there because inside you could run it in some containers. It depends how you're setting up the networking. Um, but typically, people run it on the actual uh, base host, the Linux machine. or Yeah, not, not in the container, but... 
Yeah, typically not in the container. Yeah, exactly. The platform. If you're running on a scheduled container platform, then you need to run it there um, because you don't actually have access to the base uh, host sometimes. And and again, your goal as uh, as Kentic is to pull. You'll see that network, see that packet stream, create IP fix records out of that, so that you so that that host looks like. Uh, any other network device. And so you don't really need to be in every virtual machine. And in fact, you wouldn't want to be if you have a central point of aggregation. That's kind of a good exactly. thing. Yeah, hypervisor is better than host. Um, and that way also you can do resource scheduling for the observation outside of what any given host is doing. And then what if that host is um, encapsulating data at like VXLAN? Um, so for VXLAN, um, we wind up looking at just more of the packet to grab that as a field that gets uh, put in there. Now, to understand overlay topologies sometimes does require hooking into um, you know, a scheduling system or a provisioning system or an SDN controller um, to make sense of mapping, well, this either MAC address or this VXLAN or this VLAN, what does that mean to you, right? I've got these addresses, but what is that? Is that an application uh, foo? Is it uh, for this department? Is it for that department? So the metadata, typically what we do is we can take all those base fields, VLAN, VXLAN, MAC address, um, you know, IP address, but then we typically hook in so that as things get provisioned um, in modern systems where you don't name, name your machine Fred and pet it and know what exactly it likes to do, um, <laughs> And then they just make API calls and say, these metrics now use this tag. And so tags in the Kentic system are like ASCII BGP communities. It's just things that you put on. So again, it could be Europe. It could be Mr. Dumbass sysadmin. Uh, you know, so it's Mr. Dumbass. It could be a web layer of marketing application. And then all those things are things you can search by. Um, but again, often from the host or the container or the hypervisor, we don't know that. We need context from outside the actual traffic to know what does this mean to you. And part of that, you mentioned BGP. I, I know you gather GOIP data, a flow data, as we've established. How do you take the data coming out of the host and correlate it with all of that other data? The Kentec backend is uh, a custom column store database that's designed for network savviness, but it's a lot like a Redshift or um, uh, Google has Dremel. Uh, it, what you typically do in those kind of systems and what Kentec does is fuse the data live. So we have routing tables for things like Geo and things like BGP and things like threat intelligence and then things like um, you know application to MAC address mappings. And they all become routing tables that we update live at our ingest layer. And as these records come in, whether it's SFlow, IPFix, we have our own format called Kflow, which is Cap'n Proto, those get added on. So they become additional columns in the system that are updated live, typically within a few seconds of you know us getting the API calls and updating it. And then in our system, it's all stored and you can filter by, group by, query, you know, by all those augmented fields. Hmm. Uh, well, okay, which leads me to the next question then. Now, I've got all this data. Kentec's been munging it for me and making it presentable and searchable, et cetera. So what kind of insights would I expect to get when, I'm, uh, when I've got the data in that format now? So what we've done is if we get this, uh, if we get augmented flow, so we get this food from um, the host, the hypervisors, the containers, uh, it might be a Citrix app flow enabled um, ADC or again, you know, Nginx logs. The goal there of the NPM is typically not just, oh, I had this many bytes and packets from that port or that API is overloaded. It's really getting at 
is there a performance issue? And if so, is it the network or back in the application? So we're, that's really the goal of our first NPM release. We're not pointing down deep into the application because we're not really taking the full application logs. It's using the Kentic system. The first thing that happens is if we have that augmented data, we open up a whole number of new metrics. So instead of just bits per second or packets per second or number of unique IPs, now you get retransmits, out-of-order packets, client latency, server latency, um, and application latency. And so it's really those last three. Yeah. It's we have yeah. dashboards and alerting that will tell you, oh, the observed client latency is now 10x and show you the network latency is fine and the application latency is high. It's those are the things that the people at NPM are looking to do. And then what do you do once you know that? So that's alerting, and we'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about DDoS and the new alerting system. So that's that's the alerting, and 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 really alerting should be not just attacks, but also performance and other you know sort of uh, application issues in our opinion. But then again, we've got the BGP data, so we lay it out and we show you on a path basis. Where's, where do we think the problem is? So we, we, if we have enough data, then we're aggregating by hop in the BGP AS path what, again, any of these metrics are. So that if you see a problem and you see that it looks like it's a network, you can actually see, is it, oh, is it the data center? Is it my immediate upstream provider? Is it off in the middle? So we've got a, an ad tech customer. And ad tech is a really interesting space for network sophistication, or at least I'll say network frustration when they don't have the when they don't have the data, because you've got all these companies that compete with each other, but they need to cooperate to give 50 millisecond SLAs because if they don't, then the web pages don't load. You ever you know load a web page and you see you know ad tech stuff not you know blocking it, people get upset. So where's the problem? And often um, you know our customers actually have to send PDFs from the system to say, look, here's, it's a, your upstream, here's, here's the problem. Um, and what we've seen is a lot of this is, it sounds like finger pointing, but it's actually taken very constructively compared to, uh, I don't know, last decade, I just saw endless organizations that want, didn't want to admit problems. Now people understand there are problems and they're really just looking to collaborate. Um, mm. And with tools that are separate, y- you know, you can't really do that. So quick answer, it's, Application versus network performance problems, and if so, where in the network or where in the application might the problem be? Okay, so now a part of the excitement here with this release of the product is the the cloud aspect, and that's uh, really we're overcoming that with the the agent and uh, probe that is doing that data gathering for us. Um, you know, the big idea being I can't see very well into the cloud because I don't own that infrastructure. Um, it, you know, are we saying that there's nothing the infrastructure providers are going to give me to help to give me any insight into what's going on with my instances? I would love it if some of the cloud providers would do that. Um, so far, they haven't. I can't predict the future. Um, the closest is Amazon has VPC flow logs, which are many minutes old um, and really focused on security. And I don't believe they have any performance data in them. So we have some customers that are interested in having us take those. That becomes a little bit weird for us because we expect to get data live, not sort of after the fact. Um, uh, but it's something we're looking at because for a lot of enterprise that are Amazon only, that's you know uh, that is something they can turn on. But so far, in again the big the big cloud providers that I've seen, there's nothing that they give you 
other than uh, not even SNMP, right? I mean, um, not streaming telemetry, not any performance data. Maybe from the cloud load balancing service, you might get some application performance metrics. But at the infrastructure level, people are generally left, you know, they're looking at retransmits. They're saying, oh, is that is that neighborhood and is that VM in a bad neighborhood? Maybe I should assassinate it and you know reconstitute it in a new neighborhood. It's all guesswork, and there's very little actual data for people yeah. to go on. And certainly you not should scale horizontally in the cloud. So mm-hmm. um, I guess they would say we don't want to put that instrumentation on because that costs us money. A and B at the sort of scale they're working at, that's an awful lot of. <laughs> Do you know what? Like that could be an awful lot of pain. I'm, I'm playing little tiny violins. You can't actually hear them. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm <laughs> I mean, just, I you know, say. I'm sort of looking at it from the reverse direction. I can understand why they're not doing it, but considering how much money that Amazon's making, they could just about do anything and still give the customer a better level of service. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll give you a counterpoint. Server Central. Yeah. Now I'm biased because it's my alma mater. I was CTO mm-hmm. there before starting Kentic. They use Kentic, and then they actually give their cloud customers. Full visibility of 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 all the traffic because they send all the flow off and then we process it and then they use APIs they stick it in their portal and now people can see it's possible to do. Yes. And you know, oh, I didn't uh, say it was impossible, but I just said it's, it's. I can see why they're not doing it. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's, Maybe they there just are don't lots think of things. Make enough money. Yeah, there are lots of things in the cloud that you don't get, but Kentic is still the only tool that I've heard that gives me some visibility. And there are ways to get visibility into performance of these systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some, you know, there are a lot of APM tools, but they haven't really come down the stack because they view packets as sort of degrading and, you know, we're already we're already on to serverless computing. Soon we'll be on to packetless networking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> None of those packets, that doesn't matter. It's it's just, you know, HTTP. I mean, you know, Wireshark? No, 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 no. no. And we've you got HTTP 2.0. That. That'll fix everything. Up until exactly. It's all yeah. it's binary and multitask and beautiful. Um, so yeah, I mean, we we haven't seen anything quite like that, and it's really extending below. You know, what a lot of our customers are saying, you know, is APM without the NPM without the network view. It just doesn't solve the complete problem. And, and really, a lot of what we're doing, it's not as sexy to say. It's about returning people's time. Right. You've yeah. got people, they're thought workers, they want to create, they want to think great thoughts, they want to instantiate them. They don't want to spend half their week tracing down problems that are gone by the time they are almost, you know, have half a clue that they are or aren't a problem. And so that's, uh, you know, that's what a lot of our customers in, that's their world. Is APM really... I mean, I can argue that I could build a synthetic transaction that I could uh, use mm-hmm. to test my entire application stack, no matter where the components live, including public cloud. So why is this, why is this broken? So that's a great question. Um, uh, Catchpoint is a company, you know, we like, we think they do great work. They do synthetic transactions. Um, you know, Keynote's been doing it for decades. Um, I have some beefs with them uh, based on how they did network performance stuff back in the 90s, but, you know, a lot of people use them. So I'm a big religious believer that, you should start from traffic, and synthetic transactions add interesting information. But if your primary path is synthetics, then you've got a host of problems. One, um, you're going to see alerts, but you don't actually know whether they're for things that matter to your users. right? So you can do external ping and traceroute from all over the world and say, oh, I have my, a problem from South Africa. Oh, maybe I should look at that. But do you have any users in South Africa? Is that actually affecting high-value transactions? Without 
tying that together, or in my view, really starting from your actual traffic, um, you can wind up chasing a lot of false trails that don't really aren't really affecting your users. The second is, if you're doing synthetic transactions, it's actually really hard to stress the entire infrastructure, you know, well. You've got to do a lot of work to make sure that you're not just caching, like like the example that uh, that Greg used about the database, right? Are you using the right database? Are you ever hitting more than 100 rows in the database with the query type that that mm. synthetic transaction is executing? At Akamai, we had something called Invisible Ghost. And that was a really interesting synthetic transaction system because what it was doing was recording actual traffic and playing the actual requests in parallel against a, a parallel set of machines. And you could always break shit by playing, you know, 100 machines worth of traffic against one machine, right? So so it was like fuzz testing with volumetric traffic. That's an approach which I think is interesting because you're actually doing what users are doing. But it's, I've, I've really not seen synthetic tools that do that, and then that on the APM side becomes, again, you're both not catching things and you're catching things that potentially aren't the path that the user's doing. So I think synthetic is a very valuable, or I'd say, I call it test traffic versus actual traffic, because when you say synthetic versus passive, a lot of people, their eyes glaze over and yeah. don't really know. It's when you do synthetic, tra- I, I think the synthet- synthetic transactions work better than some things in mo- in certain cases. There's always different ways of testing. Synthetic transactions always give you the best way of doing things at your own request. So you click something, the synthetic transaction starts, you can monitor at that point. Uh-huh. And you also have a known test that's running. Whereas if you're relying on endpoints and you're doing in-network transactions, the endpoints can change or be in variable conditions or they can, you know, the app can be updated and all of a sudden what you're monitoring changes and you don't know, things like that. So there's always a place for synthetic transaction. There's always a place for in-network monitoring or application monitoring. And the two are similar, but actually different in terms of the, the base business case, I believe. Uh, yes, I think this would be a very interesting um, uh, nerd-thwacking fight battle at some point, but I would agree they're <laughs> complementary. Uh, they're definitely complementary, and, and generally most of our customers use both. Um, there's definitely religion involved, but again, uh, yeah, we have yeah. a tremendous number of customers. They use Catchpoint. They fire up both on demand and they have the regular baseline. Um, and then they also do the traffic-based observation um, and sometimes use that to actually pay attention to cranky CEOs using their product and make sure they have good connectivity and you know whatever the business derives as the uh, as the things that are important. Mm. I just think it's important. A lot of us are not familiar. Like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that in networking, a lot of people aren't familiar with the idea of actually testing, and they haven't thought through uh, okay. what, uh, how they test, right? And so you can do in-app monitoring, get flow records, and you can look at the actual transaction rates and the, you know, the application response times, and from you can derive server response versus client response and interpolate network performance out of that. But um, but then when synthetic transactions it's not the same. It's different, and there are different use cases for it. So, if you come to, you know, working with Kentic, think carefully. Take time to consider what you're testing for and what you're monitoring for, so that you pick the right tool to get the right result. And again, this comes back to: there's a time for synthetic transactions, and you need time to build synthetic transactions to run and so forth. But all mm-hmm. you want to just—I'm sure that most of your customers would get started with in-app, like monitoring applications first and then discovering that there's some gap there that they don't want, and then they get to synthetic transactions as a second phase. Is that reasonable? 
I think that's true. It's also true that we start with the people that run the border of the network, and that's where they have DDoS attacks and need to peer with people. And it's the rest of the company that starts with APM and then says, well, how do I know if it's a network problem? And often they have, you know, synthetic transactions, but those don't, those aren't determinative, right? It points, oh, maybe there was a problem, but it doesn't link to the actual transactions in a way that you can actually show someone and say, okay, it wasn't the network for these transactions. I can go back and look at the application because if it's real user traffic, then you don't have a synthetic matchup for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the area where we see synthetic uh, adding to the the actual traffic the most is what Kentic focuses on is your actual traffic and sees mostly the outbound path. So when someone's trying to figure out is the problem what is what was the exact reverse path back to the network because every you know transaction's got the the it's got the Gazelda and the Gazinta. So on the Gazinta you don't really see that and that's where synthetic approaches like Catchpoint has one and Dyn has one and Thousand Eyes has one. Those can be useful as an add-on. They're generally very noisy to use as a primary monitoring, but when you're monitoring, you can say, oh, actual user had actual problem. Uh, I don't see a forward path problem. What was the reverse path? That's where um, we see a lot of our customers, at least in the groups we work with, use one of those other approaches to see what was the reverse path at that point. And then they set that up in advance from agents that map well to what they think their, you know, what their usual traffic patterns are. Again, again, your traffic pattern may shift, and if you aren't shifting, to your point, if you're not if you're not doing that work to make sure that your synthetics are matching your actual traffic, then there can be mismatches as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, it's just um, if you're not familiar with this sort of stuff, do take some time to think about where you start. Don't let it stop you from get started. Like my, to my mind, visibility tools is absolutely the 2016 thing. You you know, the must-have fashion thing for summer, winter. Is it summer, winter, fashion? It's definitely depends. The are you in thing. Australia? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> depends on whether you're in fall or spring, and that depends on exactly. where you live. Um, you know, but this 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 you know, this quarter's fashion collection of networking is absolutely visibility and analytics as far you know. And I've been banging on this drum for six months now, but it's not as easy as I'll just turn on some visibility and boom. But you can certainly get started. Like products like Kentech, you put them down and you get something straight away. And now you've got a whole new set of things to start to think about and how you tweak it and adapt to it. And I think that's really what you're ta- what you've talked about so far is you start with this and you move down a pathway of of getting more exactly. and more visibility. Yeah. Yeah, not only on the network layer, but also at the other layers. We built a we 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 didn't build it. We paid the Grafana folks to build uh, um, a system that uses our a data connector to use Kentec so that the people that do with machines, you know, CPU fan temperature, they can see what the network is doing. The people that do with application metrics, they can see what the network is doing. And I think that I will fall on my um, sword uh, pile of, of old sushi, whatever it is, um, <laughs> for the industry. And Well, I just was at Fogo last night, so I'll, I'll fall yeah. on my uh, Churrasca sword okay. um, and say... The industry needs to do a better job of explaining passive, active, test, uh, synthetic, yes. uh, application network. Um, it's network overly advantage. confusing for customers, and I apologize on behalf of the industry. And mm. as I said in the beginning, I really think that in some ways, letting people realize the ways that they can use the technology and how it helps their business, revenue, cost, uptime, um, is harder than actually building the technology. 
um, at least for a network nerd like me. So it's it's it's, a, it's something that we're working on, uh, something we're working on with some other monitoring companies. And so you're working with Grafana to build a user experience, like yeah, design an interface that actually is like human. <laughs> um, <laughs> Grafana's interface yeah. is beautiful. I would say the UX is mm. not you know, perfect for uh, everybody yet. I'd say our user interface is uh, the best that I've seen in the, in the area that we're doing, but still can be, you know, is not, is not the pointy haired boss interface yet. We don't have, you know, map views and, and there's some things that's really designed more for the practitioner. And we think a lot you haven't about got somebody with a beard let... and a, and a check shirt, you know, drinking hipster coffee, designing your user experience yet, but you're headed in that direction is what I think I hear you saying. No, absolutely. That that that's something that that we're we're spending a lot of time on, and we're going to spend a lot of time on over the next year. What we did with Grafana is we just made it so people that are used to looking at metrics can look at network traffic as metrics side by side, okay. so they can do correlation. Right. Because I don't want to go build. I've got in my head, of course, what the perfect metric system is, and mm-hmm. I think I'm really upset at the crappy state of time series database as a service companies. But mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do as a startup because you got to focus. So yes, exactly. our goal is partner with them make the network visible to people that think about metrics primarily, just but as we want to make... not necessarily networking. Yeah. So yeah. your interface is more tuned towards people who stare at metrics interfaces for things like, you know, JavaScript load time in DOMs on web pages mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, database response times and web server response, you know, how long it takes to load a web page. And you're delivering your graphics to match that target audience because they need this extra data that comes from the network, and that makes sense. And that's what and people are using Grafana for that today. Is that a fair interpretation? Exactly. That's the point of the Grafana implementation is so that we can um, hide AS paths and communities and just let the people that are looking at, at applications and systems get a view of the network. That's good because now I don't have to talk to them. i mean i mean greg that's the point i mean that actually is the point is people don't want to bother their peers if they can get an idea of they you know if you can just train one thing right look over here look at application latency versus network latency look at your application look at the network and oh look or or you can call me and i'm going to point you to the same dashboard uh you know in your system but um uh, we, you know, we work with a lot of SaaS companies, a lot of web companies. They, these, the, a lot of them, the groups roll up their peers. They really are peers. They're really connected. It's not like one works for the CIO and works one works for the CISO. They work for the same boss, and the same boss. She's saying, you know, um, you know, work together, and they really want to. They just the tools yeah. aren't approachable. They don't understand each other's tools. That's always the gap. Yes, I agree. Well, Avi, let's move the conversation ahead to DDoS. Um, timely, you know, as we're recording this, there is a lot of news with uh, Dyn, uh, the DNS provider, among other things, being uh, DDoSed, and the challenges that that introduced to the internet at large as name resolution was impacted severely. So, Kentek, you guys play in the DDoS detection space, and you're also getting involved with mitigation. Um, although, I got to say, it seems like stopping DDoS is kind of impossible. I mean, there's too much data coming in from too many sources. I mean, is it actually possible to squelch a DDoS attack? So let's start with what's not possible. It's not possible to prevent being attacked. And I think that there are attacks that could be generated that we have not seen yet, that very few people other than, you know, maybe Google or Nakamai uh, would be able to stop. But for the 99% of attacks that actually happen on the internet, it's a tractable problem. You can detect them 
you can mitigate them. It might not be as cheap as you would like, but it is a solvable problem. Uh, absolutely, it is. Even at the terabit level, um, I think if we get into the 100 terabit plus attacks, which I think we, we, we could see over the next couple of years, then we'll need to do a little bit of a different network architecture. You know, Right now, a lot of providers, a lot of the mitigation is based on punting your traffic over to a cloud provider. Or if you're a provider yourself trying to do this kind of mitigation, it's based on scrubbing centers because these boxes can get pretty expensive. And by pretty expensive, I mean you know five hundred thousand dollars for a hundred gig, you know, uh, okay. of scrubbing. So people put them at five places in the network, and that works okay when it's a hundred gig. But you know, if it's a few terabits, tens of terabits, then I think we'll need to see some different architecture on the mitigation side. Or you know, um, if you're sitting down, I'll say. SDN, right? Some actual control of front-end volumetric. Does it Mufasa? Ooh. Um, so, so some actual practical feedback loop. And there's some things like VGP flow spec and other things, uh, you know, that are there. But again, simple answer uh, for 99% of the attacks that people see today, it, it's it's possible to detect and protect. All right. So your engine can. That's the first step. Is the detection. You, in, you claim on the website that Kentic Detect Engine can detect attack anomalies in seconds. Okay, I'm impressed. H- how do you do that? Well, we're taking the traffic summary data, whether it's SFlow, NetFlow, IPFix, again, from hosts, routers, load balancers, uh, live. We have a continually running streaming data system that is looking at what the usual traffic is. And most of our customers are looking really at anomalies with minimum threshold. So I don't want to know that, you know, three kilobits went to three megabits. That's not really interesting. But but to look at things that are, you know, in the tens of megabits going up much higher. And because we've already got the baselines built, then as the data comes in and S flows a little bit faster, uh, the host monitoring is a little bit faster. I, uh, NetFlow, I'd say it can be tens of seconds instead of seconds because you just need a little bit more time to build it up. Um, so you've got the baselines, you're looking at traffic, and you say, oh, that's a problem. And then we can look back and see in more detail in our system what has the traffic been. Uh, and if it's you know way above for things that are of especially the known kind of DDoS patterns, then we can alert. Now, what people want to do with it, that's a business question for them. We have people that automatically trigger mitigation. We have people that want the the big red button so it opens a ticket and they log in and go push, you know, go go do something about it. We have people that just want to be notified uh, and then examine. Just to drill in on that uh, that detection sure. then. I mean, you're looking at uh, tens, hundreds, thousands of hosts that are sending anomalous traffic in the form of an attack and you're looking at uh, some kind of a uh, a bump where they're outside of baseline. Okay, they were talking mm-hmm. something that looked normal. All of a sudden, the volume on this particular conversation is cranked up. That's anomalous. I'm going to flag that as probably attack traffic. Is Am I about right? It's a little bit more complex than that because we're not just looking at the total volume. We're looking at the characteristics of it in terms of geography, source networks, ports and protocols to say, is this is this what usually is happening when the traffic goes above a certain volume? And if it isn't, then, you know, uh, then we'll alert. If it's just more HTTP traffic of normal multi-packet flows and of normal uh, average communications, then it's probably just, you know, damn, you got popular. Um, I guess Slashdot, <laughs> it's not the Slashdot effect anymore. It's the, 
uh, I don't know, it's the Reddit effect, right? You got Reddited, um, uh, or you wrote something about our, our godforsaken political process in the United States um, <laughs> <laughs> on a timely perspective. Uh, and people, you know, were interested in, interested or infuriated by it. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's really a, a more multidimensional than just the total volume uh, and involves knowing what is the usual uh, what is the usual volume of that? And then it, for people, you know, we generally there's a host of best practices you can set up so that you can continue to use cloud services even if your front door is being banged down. But we do have some customers that cross-connect to us so that this traffic metadata, even though we're a cloud provider, um, we're bypassing the internet so that if their internet pipes are congested during attacks, that we can continue to do this de- this uh, this detection. Now, are you only doing this detection in your cloud, or if I have a Kentic appliance, would I could I be doing the same kind of detection on the appliance? Well, we're sort of the anti-appliance company, so we don't do appliances like that. We have the host agent, but it's really more of a relay and encryptor or generator. One of the, really the key differentiator of Kentic is we keep all the traffic. Older systems like Arbor, systems that you know people created like Boundary, a lot of those those uh, you know, really, they're they're still mainstream systems. They take the high volume data, they build fixed time series aggregates, and then they throw the data away. So, so Avi, just to you know, grab a hold of something here. You just said you're the anti appliance company. So, as in, you don't sell as Kentic uh, a, a detect engine appliance that someone could put on premises uh, at all. That's not even a choice for them. All the processing happens up in the cloud. Right now, with Kentic, all the processing happens up in the cloud, or we turn on a private Kentic cloud in their infrastructure. So for people that have scale or security, generally security constraints around what traffic or what traffic metadata they'll send externally, then we turn on the entire Kentic cluster inside. We haven't yet made a Kentic light, something that just does the detection and just summaries, because pretty much all of our customers are experienced with the frustration of not being able to get the visibility back into what actually happened because the systems they have don't keep the traffic. Uh, and that dictates needing a big data cluster to actually run so you can keep the data and be able to analyze it and give those answers in a couple seconds. So no, no appliance today. It's something that we think about either as a 5VM Kentic light with limited retention so people can just try it, uh, you know, uh, who are interested more in the on-prem option, or... There are people that do mitigation that are asking us to build that kind of Kentic light, uh, but it's not what our mainstream customers are asking for, so it's not a technology direction that we're focused on today. But I, I would never say never. Okay, okay. Well, th- well, this is interesting, though, because from a DDoS perspective, you've got all this data up in the cloud from not just one customer, from a bunch of customers. Does that mm-hmm. give your engine a, a special insights? Does aggregating data from lots of different customers about when you're actually having an attack or not? Aha, you guys are smart nerds. We don't even have that on our website. Um, So we have some customers that do allow us to share and build aggregate versions of uh, aggregates across data, across customers. Some do not. They say, our data is our data. You can't use it for anything. But we have a, a number of customers that do. And yes, that gives us an idea of, is this something that's happening globally? Is this something that's happening just to one person, and that's going to be something that's actually going to make its way into the product. And it's also something that we're going to be doing more thought leadership around, (laughs) really trying to help, we'll say, trying to help the community by releasing data 
not quarterly, but really on a real-time basis about what's actually going on. If you're seeing something, is it unusual? Um, not only with volumetric attacks, but also, you know, provider D in Boston is having a problem. But so uh, you are having a problem to provider D in Boston, and so is everybody. So don't worry about it, right? Mm. Often, a biggest time sink saving can be knowing that everyone's having the same problem. So you sh- don't worry about it um, at that time. So, uh, yeah, the global view is something that we do get to use and does help with accuracy, um, but it's not something that's visible in the product. It's more behind the scenes today. Now, once I've uh, detected an attack, uh, what are my mitigation options? So, number one, which is really level zero, is just knowing, (laughs) which uh, uh, some people stop there. Um, Next level up is generally... uh, BGP, RTBH, real-time black hole, or RTBH to drive BGP flow spec, so which is sort of network uh, gray beard butt crack um, SDN. <laughs> we we did a show on 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 flow spec, so if you've not heard of that and you want to get into some, <laughs> how did you put it, gray beard butt crack? Yeah, it's distributing effectively. It's distributing uh, uh, attackers via a BGP NLRI and then populating an ACL on your router with uh, those entries that came through. You got to have a system that can talk flow spec and uh, and and, so the, and then a router that can read it, so you can do programming. But you can filter that way um, once you've detected the issues. And if, there's, if, if you're interested, packet pushers listeners, do a search for um, BGP flow spec and find a podcast we recorded with. Justin Ryburn from Juniper about how all that works. Um, so you guys will feed into real time black hole, which we also talk about on that flow spec show. Um, you yep. you can populate uh, flow spec entries for people that want to do that, uh, which would be you means you got to have a router that can deal with it and a BGP version that can run it. Uh, you know that it's supported. Um, so I guess, but I guess what we're getting to here is you, you as Kentic don't. You know, do the mitigation as such. You are populating other systems to you know, handle that mitigation. You're saying, "Hey, we figured this out. Here's what you need to know. Go forth and start dropping traffic." So, uh, so Ethan, I'm still reeling from NLRI, um, <laughs> uh, but I guess this is a network nerd show, so I guess that's that's all fair. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about the other mitigations we have, but just uh, another point on FlowSpec. Not only do you need to make sure that um, your router supports it, and Cisco ASR support it now, so there's multi-vendor support for it, um, and that you're running the right version of BGP. Um, but also, you it is one of those things that because it's not used as widely, people are rightly paranoid and really do need to test that if they use it, that it will work with the other things that they need to use in the router release that they've tested. So if you if you are paranoid enough to actually do real testing of all the features that you use, then it actually often requires some retesting of the specific train of software that you're using. Um, FlowSpec also got a bad rap because when it first came out, the idea was that people would send these apples about these prefixes cross provider boundaries and then um, that wound up not working so well. Um, so providers don't offer that anymore. But within your network, it can be an effective tool. And then yeah, about the other integration. So yeah, Kentic is not in the business today of doing the mitigation side of protection. Uh, as we went through our first year of selling, our first customers said, no, 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 we'll, we got this. Right? You got APIs. We're nerds. We love coding things together. We'll build the integrations. But 
over the last year, really since late 2015, um, we've been dealing with larger and larger customers that say, no, 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 we need a solution. We need a protection solution that has open big data, real-time visibility and detection, but then ties to uh, box and appliance and uh, cloud provider mitigation. And the two big, the two providers that we've heard requests most for for that kind of integration are Radware and A10. And so those are the mitigations that we've built. So in terms of complete mitigation, you can detect, you can do um, RTBH, you can use that to drive flow spec. And we also have, and running in production, an end-to-end integration so that we can drive Radware and A10 uh, appliance-based solutions, and then we'll have some cloud-based solutions as well that we'll be integrating with, uh, which a lot of our customers use. So, okay, so who who are the who are the typical customers here? Because if I've got a big A10 or Radware appliance that's doing yeah. DDoS mitigation for me, I think of that more in the provider space, not you know an enterprise that's being attacked, but the provider that can actually help with the mitigation because they're upstream. Well, actually, Radware and A10 both have a good, a big presence in enterprise. Um, often it's the providers that sell it to them so that instead of having a $500,000 honking box, they'll sell them a you know $80,000 box that's just upstream of their one gig or 10 gig. And then a lot of the big web companies, and I'd say some have, some are more Radware, some are more A10. Um, in fact, both of those companies built their DDoS mitigation products with big web companies that were looking for solutions that were more tailored to them. So they've, each of those products have, uh, have different flavors, but by, but those products, what they offer from those vendors is inline and at large scale, um, inline doesn't quite work. So if you've got 10, 10 gigs at the border of your network, um, then it becomes more of an issue to, to put things in line and they want distributed detection, um, and then traffic diversion, so you're, they're using BGP typically and then diverting the traffic and then sending it back into a VERF or a VLAN that's policy routed so that the clean traffic doesn't get looped back. Um, yeah. And then we see this on-prem and really hybrid where people have, maybe they'll have 40 gig of on-prem protection. And then if it's bigger, if the attacks are bigger than that, they'll divert off into the cloud. Another question here, just kind of a, it, it's really about false positives and negatives. And I, I can't help but think that that's still a challenge for us here. I mean, we, you went through the algorithm, you know, I kind of understand how that goes, but there's still got to be a challenge there with the false positives and negatives. Well, as the uh, computer science nerds would say, uh, selection versus recall has always been challenging. Um, so the less, uh, you know, uh, the less picky you are, um, the more things you're going to miss, and the more picky you are, the more risk of false alert uh, you have. So I wouldn't say that we've gotten to perfect, but for the people, we have people using us for automatic mitigation, and what they've told us from just observation and experience is that we're catching, uh, they, they went from catching about 90% to catching all but a couple of the attacks that are, are serious enough that they would do automated mitigation, um, so again, when you're down into the, someone is sending someone 10 megabits of I hate you packets from their cable modem, that's just not something that, that the provider cares about um, or that we can attack, we can detect with enough accuracy. Um, and then the other side of it is, you know, these DDoS mitigation approaches are not perfect. I know this will shock you to hear, um, especially with protocols that look like UDP, but really aren't, or look like DNS, but really aren't. Well, there are a lot of applications which, um, you know, these boxes, 
build up they're 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 coded with an understanding of what some of these protocols are. So every time you do a mitigation, there's a chance of service impairment, um, and again, we've tuned things, we've tuned the system so that um, our customers are telling us that they're almost entirely not not um, triggering mitigation unless there's an actual attack that's actually impacting. And some of that is because we're looking at more the dimensions of the traffic. Some of that is because we actually have all the traffic saved for months so we can look back historically. Um, and for the rest of it, I would I would fall back and say I'm just the dumb CEO and I need to get my CTO on the line. <laughs> so th- 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 that was interesting though. Is a couple of points there. You know, one is you know state of the art isn't perfect yet. That doesn't mean DDoS mitigation is a myth or that it's not useful. There is still uh, power right. and usefulness there. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's true. And I will also say a lot of companies are advanced, persistent, machine learning, deep uh, protection, right? And, and we tend to be more real about it. So I would say we are tuning, we do automated learning, but we pick the dimensions which we've observed correlate with both real attacks that are actually impacting, whether it's on DDoS or whether it's on performance, which is another thing that our learning system can be used for. Um, and we're not just saying, go go forth and learn, right? The magic machine learning, go look at traffic and figure it all out. Because I think you really do need the domain, human domain expertise mixed in with it still. We're, we're yeah. not at the automated, you know, magic everything. So those rules, uh, or at least... It's not like it's a fixed rule, but the dimensions that we look at will change as attacks change, and, and I think that that helps also. The nature of DDoS is evolving, so yes. the ability to apply machine—you know—we can apply machine learning to characterize from a known data set, but we can't necessarily predict what the adaptations will be into the future. So, you always have to have both. I don't think you'll ever just be able to one or the other. Exactly, and we don't yeah. do machine learning because machine learning can be very difficult to ask why. Um, so we do directed learning where we're observing, um, but always have an understanding of why we asked it to observe in those dimensions so that, so that someone can pick it apart and, you know, tune that um, directed learning in the future. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to follow up with, Avi, did I hear you right to say that uh, when you said that a lot of times DDoS mitigations are attack or DDoS attacks are detected, but that uh, mitigation is not engaged except under extreme circumstances? Well, I think there's sort of two points. One is when you're under DDoS attack, there's still a risk uh, if you're outside the normal kind of traffic that some of the DDoS clouds and and mitigation boxes won't understand uh, 100% of your traffic and that you can have some actual application impairment. Uh, And that was one of the points that I made. Um, And uh, the other is, no, generally I would say... um, the customers that we're working with, whether they're enterprise or service providers, are not mitigating everything that you could actually point to and say it's an attack. Because, you know, we just have a lot of people that believe in QoS means quantity of service, uh, right? So <laughs> sometimes the answer is you scale up your load balancers, or if it's a gigabit, well, you know what? That's not actually that much traffic now. Uh, beef up your external capacity to 60 gigabits, which is $1,000 per month per 10 gig. It's not that much anymore. And just Mm. add a few more servers. So um, some mitigation is actually, I'd say the more advanced customers, some of them don't have any DDoS mitigation boxes. What they do is they'll fire up a complete new infrastructure, you know, hook into Kubernetes and, uh, you know, including instrumentation and visibility for it. And they 
another thing that people do is they'll actually use the detection and then push simpler rules. Um, and this actually gets back to an interesting question about the Dyn attack, the DNS attack, which is sometimes the way that you can deal with attacks is to get simpler in your logic so you can deal with more traffic. Um, do round-robin load balancing instead of health check load balancing, like reduce the load on the system, uh, which also has a parallel to how do you do multiple DNS in this day of really intelligent DNS? Well, maybe if you're under attack, you back off some of the intelligence so you can be multi-vendor without a unique feature that someone has. So anyway, to reel it back to the question, um, a lot of our customers don't mitigate every attack. They only mitigate the attacks that they know are so big that they're going to give collateral damage to the other applications on their infrastructure or the other customers of their service provider. Thanks for that clarification. That I get it. That makes sense. So Avi, we talked today about network performance monitoring in the context of cloud. We talked about DDoS, anomaly detection, and mitigation. Now, are these separate products I would be paying separate licensing to for Kentech? Is it all part of the one big uh, Kentech package? How does that work? It's all part of the big, happy Kentech package. Um, I think we need, you know, we might at some point create additional products and packs and things like that. We're trying to be as simple and uh you know, buyer-friendly as possible for now. Um, on the alerting side, it's just included. Um, when people are adding the NPM, often they're adding uh, different devices and traffic that they're uh, instrumenting. And then it's not a different product, but then the way that Kentic charges is based on the number of devices that are exporting us data. So typically people will pay a little bit more for that, but then they're getting the they're getting the actionable information about the performance problems um, that help them run their infrastructure. Okay, very good. And uh, where do people go if they want to find out more about Kentech? Kentech's website, www.kentech.com. Kentech is K-E-N-T-I-K. You can follow me, Avi Friedman, on uh, Twitter. Um, and uh, we have a blog. We have uh, occasional deep network nerding, like how BGP works or how DDoS attacks work, as well as our um, marketing announcements uh, and use cases and things like that. Deep nerding. I absolutely <laughs> love that. <laughs> I might steal. Let's see if that domain's available. That's awesome. Deep nerding. And uh, folks, we had some links on uh, that'll be on the, the packetpushers.net blog post that accompanies this podcast if you're looking for more links to find your way easily into the Kentic product. Thanks to everyone for listening to Packet Pushers today, and our special thanks to Kentuck for sponsoring the Packet Pushers, because without sponsors, we could not do what we do. And you can find this and many more of our fine, absolutely free technical podcasts, along with our community blog at PacketPushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can like us on Facebook. You can rate us on iTunes. And please do. That helps us with the iTunes rankings. And uh, other people can therefore discover Packet Pushers, which is good. That's how we grow the audience, and that's a big deal to us. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.